Welcome to The Body Nerd Show. I'm your host, Alexandra Ellis, and after a decade in the fitness industry, I've finally cracked the code on how you can build sustainable strength without getting hurt. I'm a coach, writer, yogi, kettlebell devotee, lover of lifting heavy things, and 100% a body nerd. So stick with me, and I'll teach you how to make body maintenance and movement mastery a fundamental part of your wellness routine. Are you ready? Let's do this. Welcome back. You're listening to episode 133 of The Body Nerd Show. On today's episode, I'm joined by Dr. Eddie O'Connor, and we're sharing how to change your relationship with pain, how much sleep you actually need every night, how perfectionism gets in your way, and Dr. Eddie's best tips to help you sleep better tonight. Now, I really do hope that you enjoy today's episode, and you may or may not be able to hear how called out I feel. <laughs> When we started talking about perfectionism and this conversation took a turn that I wasn't expecting, but I'm so grateful and glad that we did because in so many ways, perfectionism, being an overachiever, it shows up and is just a roadblock. So Dr. Eddie is a clinical and sports psychologist who specializes in removing barriers to peak performance. And as a non-athlete, you might think, well, psh, peak performance, what does that mean? But peak performance for the rest of us includes things like getting amazing, I was going to say decent, but amazing sleep right? Because when you have good sleep, you show up with a more clear head. You're able to make better decisions. Your physiology is better. It just sleep is so important. And it's one of the easiest, so to speak, I say most free things that we can get, right? That will make a huge difference for how you feel every single day. So in addition to tips on sleep, Dr. Eddie is also going to share a little bit of mindset that goes into pain and how we really show up on a daily basis. He is a fellow and certified mental performance consultant through the Association for Applied Sports Psychology and member of the United States Olympic Committee Sports Psychology Registry. Dr. Eddie has worked with youth, high school, collegiate, national, and international, junior Olympic, and professional athletes and coaches, as well as performing artists and musicians. Dr. Eddie has worked with youth, high school, collegiate, national, and international, junior Olympic, and professional athletes and coaches, as well as performing artists and musicians. We were members of a business group at the same time, and Dr. Eddie had a workshop, which he'll talk about in today's conversation as well, that really piqued my interest, which is why I was like, I got to talk to him and got to have him on the show. So I walked away with many tangible things that actually I'm still using to this day, one of which is bedtimes. And he's going to talk about it. And it's going to be so much more exciting, I promise you, because I know there's nothing less exciting than thinking about bedtimes as an adult, but it's been making a huge difference for me over the last few weeks since I had this conversation with Dr. Eddie. So enough chat. Let's get to it. Here is Dr. Eddie O'Connor. All right, Dr. Eddie, I'm so excited to have you here so that we can chat and get nerdy about recovery and sleep. Yeah. But the same place I like to start is asking you, what do you like to get nerdy about? Well, this will be interesting because, and this is not in contrast to everything you said, but I get nerdy about pain, actually. <laughs> and what mainly because I, I don't like it either. Um, yeah. I don't. I don't like it in my body. I especially don't like it in my heart and emotions. But what I have found is that there's no way to really ultimately get rid of it. 
So I've got a history of working for about 16, 17 years with chronic pain. I work with athletes of all kinds and I have a special heart for my runners. And when I have runners coming in and they didn't want to hurt or they would slow down because they were tired because they hurt, I'm like, well, you know, really this is a pain tolerance sport. Like, what are you, what are you expecting? Mm-hmm. But then you go beyond and you look at relationships or, there, or just really anything, hard work of excellence. There's always pain involved. So I really get nerdy about the idea that I kind of go countercultural. Not that I'm in disagreement about treating pain or getting out of pain when you can. If you can, by all means, do it. But I have just, I've worked with a lot of people that want to get out of pain that they can't get out of. Or they don't mm-hmm. accept the pain that's necessary to excel. Or mm-hmm. they avoid the pain and that's making things worse because they're not accepting what is. Mm-hmm. So I get really, really nerdy about the role of embracing your pain. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to like it. It doesn't mean that you have to agree with it. It doesn't mean that you have to just put up with it. I want to be very clear about that. I certainly don't mean by accepting your pain that you're resigned to it. But if it's there, like the runners, for example, and you're expecting it not to hurt, or you're fighting the pain while you're pushing yourself to a degree that you've never pushed before, like how can you run a PR and not hurt more than you've ever hurt before? So I want Mm -hmm. to change that relationship to pain to make space for it when it has to be there. And you will find that by dropping the control, the, the control agenda of trying to control your pain, when you let it be there and bring it along with you in service of what you value or what your goal is, not only does your performance skyrocket, but your suffering, not your pain, but your suffering can decrease. So I love getting nerdy about that stuff. Yeah. And that's such an important distinction too, about like the suffering with pain and also discomfort. I think of, you know, I worked out this morning and it was uh, Tabata cardio intervals and like, yeah, it was painful and uncomfortable and really awful, but having like the mental toughness to continue to push through that on the other side, it does feel better. Right. And like yeah. you're saying too, it's like, you feel like, Oh my gosh, like I did that. That's so awesome. But I think that acceptance of pain, whether it's like the physical or the emotional or any of that is such an important, just like food for thought. Oh my gosh, such food for thought. Yeah. And let me tell you about one. So, t- well, two things on what you had said, two tangents. I'll go off on a lot of these. So bring me Let's back go. if you need All to. The tangent. <laughs> All right. So the first one is, you know, to pushing through it. So right away that again, sets us up for the fighting. Mm. And so I get a little sensitive to it. Well, yeah, I know I get it. We do push through, but it's the attitude that I want you to push through it with in service of doing something else, not just gritting your teeth and having to do it and, and complaining about it because, you know, and it, cause it shouldn't be, but I'm going to do it anyway, because I'm tough. You, you, we don't have that much willpower to really have that last in the long run. Mm-hmm. But when you're feeling pain for something. So the best example I have is a runner, a collegiate runner who, um, like many of my runners would hit pain and be not be able to get past it and, and run his best. And he changed it. We talked about this over and over and he changed his relationship so much that the race actually didn't begin until the pain showed up. So he'd run his first laps and he was fine as usual. But then when the pain showed up, when he would typically slow down because his body would scream for comfort, he didn't know if he could do it. Da, 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 he would quiet down and be like, ah, now the race begins. Mm. And the race became all about how much he could continue to do what was necessary for speed and how much pain he could allow to be a part of that. And he would strive to experience more pain in service of running faster. And that's how he made it through the middle. And that's how he started to break his own records and now fortunately became a coach and is now teaching high schoolers year by year after this. So the ripple effect I'm super excited about. But it really comes down to that whole relationship and to see his kids just crushing their records because I know he's teaching them in every practice from the beginning 
not only coaching them in the physical aspects, but the mental side of how to relate to the discomfort. It's, mm-hmm. it's a part of sport. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it also, I mean, I would love to say it's as simple as like, just stretch your hamstrings and like that back pain is going to be gone forever. But you know, the mental component and our relationship with our bodies and yeah. you know, how things feel, what we were able to do, what we're not able to do. Like you can't, you're not like a brain without a body that is so right. one in the same. And it's really important to be thinking of all of these different things. Oh gosh. I love that you said that because I still get angry and I'll, I'll try to tone it down here, but I still get angry about how like what you have, we have mental health insurance and physical health insurance as if mm-hmm. our mental health isn't part of our brain and our, our bodies. Like what, why we separate all of this is that they're two different things, which is absolutely ridiculous because the mind and the body and emotions influence, or rather the mind and the brain influence the body and the body influences the brain. They're like they're, It's all the same thing. There's not a mm-hmm. mind out here. It's in, it's in here. Mm-hmm. Anyway, <laughs> I don't know why, why we separate not? it, but it's, it's a disservice to all of us when we start mm-hmm. thinking about, you know, emotions and psychology as something that's different or less tangible than the hard sciences. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and speaking of sciences, another thing I like to see just like what kind of things you're getting curious about. What's the last thing that you learned? <laughs> well, I, fortunately, I like to think I'm learning every day, but the, the older <laughs> I get, the more I realize I don't know stuff. So the last thing I learned is probably that I'm not as good as I thought I was and needed to be. Mm. And this is actually kind of a humbling story, but as I go on and I'm speaking all to all the perfectionists out there that could maybe relate to this. Like I I love working with perfectionists. I love working with high achievers. I love working with people who unfortunately measure their worth based on what they get done. You know, got to win so that I'm good. I got to, you know, be this good looking or have this much money or get this achievement so people don't leave me or so that my parents will love me. Not that we actually say these things, but we learn early on that, oh, when I do well, I get attention and praise. And when I don't, people are disappointed. So a lot of us (laughs) can use achievement as their source of worth Mm -hmm. and perfectionists in particular. Like if I'm not Mm -hmm. perfect, you know, some bad things are going to happen. So I'd say that's what I'm really learning at a much, much more deeper level. Um, I've worked with people like that for a while, went through my midlife crisis where it really hit me because I was on this treadmill of achievement. And I'm telling you, like, it doesn't work. And I had worked with people that they have to win the state championship and then it becomes a national championship and then it becomes the Olympics. And, and they're like, it's a great quote. Somebody had said, I wish that somebody told me when I got to the top of the mountain that nothing was there. Mm. I'd have athlete or other high performer after another telling me about these great accomplishments where I'd watch them as they're winning and win a national championship and be relieved instead of excited because that's what they should do. There was the joy was being missed. And it's because we're trying to earn our worth and you will never, ever earn it. I never earned it. It was exhausting. And it, it, you know, some things fell apart. So over the last decade or so, I've been learning more and more that Everybody already knew I wasn't perfect. (laughs) (laughs) I apparently was the only one acting like I needed to be because everybody else saw my flaws and apparently they loved me anyway. But it's very hard to actually lean in and um, look at your mistakes and say you're sorry. Say I really messed that up. Um, I really hurt that person or I can't can't do that thing that that other person can do. And I find an unexpected consequence of this is that as I learn that I'm not as good as I thought I was or needed to be, I'm actually becoming better. Mm -hmm. I have less anxiety about it. 
Um, I'm less obsessive about it. My relationships have improved. I'm more bearable to be around. I'm less intense in a negative way, but it does not take away the passion. And I get more enjoyment from it. I get more laughter. And there's more peace without any sacrifice in outcomes or productivity. And I want to say that again, because for the perfectionists, we kind of feel like if I'm not perfect, if I'm not uh, for the type A personalities, if, not, if I don't keep going, if I take time to stop and rest, it's going to cost me money or, or outcomes. I'm like, that's actually not the case. I promise you as a perfectionist or type A, if you're skipping your sleep, you know, getting five, six hours, you are wasting time. You're making more mistakes. You're spinning in circles. You're not thinking clearly. You're not problem solving. You're not seeing the things that you would see if you didn't have so much of this anxiety and drive in the way. Now, I, it is helping. I want to also say that I'm not saying that you're like, I got a lot done. <laughs> I got a lot accomplished. And I wish more people were perfectionistic because people who, who really aren't. I mean, the, the research shows that if you're a perfectionist, you do have higher quality output, but it comes at a cost. So I like mm-hmm. to say, when I work with people in my membership, for example, I work with them to become the perfect perfectionist, mm. which means I don't want you to abandon your perfectionism. It is really, really good. However, if it becomes intolerable to make mistakes and it's just not something that I accept and we go crazy about it, it actually moves us further away from being perfect. So if you really want to be perfect, the only option you have is to relate differently to the mistakes, lean into them, admit them, which is where that humility I talked about earlier comes in. Admit them, lean into them, be humble enough to learn from them in that moment. Make that one mistake, fix it, and then do something differently. Now, that doesn't mean that mistakes are okay. Never tell a perfectionist that. We know you're lying right away. They're not. They're not. They cost yeah. you grades. They cost you money. They cost your team the game. Your mistakes are not okay. However, when they happen, there's only one right way to respond to it, and that's to lean into it and fix it so it doesn't happen again, and then make a different mistake on the way to getting better. And if you do that, you'll be the closest to perfect that you could possibly be. Imagine if you learned from every mistake that you ever made. Like how much better would you and I be at this point in our lives if we actually learn from literally every mistake we've ever made? But I know we have, at least I haven't. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's why I repeated them, some of them for 30 years <laughs> right before I learned. So mm-hmm. long answer to a short question, but there's all of those aspects that are really coming together for me in a recent learning. And maybe it started with humility and that humility was allowed because I realized that I didn't have to be perfect. I always knew I didn't have to be, but that was intellectual in my heart. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of that comes from my spirituality too. I mean, as I moved into, you know, accepting God and, and, and Jesus and Christianity, that, that relieved a lot of the pressure when I was like, well, shoot, okay, if he's got it, if I don't have to live this life and be in charge and he does, that's where it started is with the pressure off. <laughs> I feel like you've just climbed into my head and put words to like my deepest, darkest secrets. I'm like, right? Oh no, how did you know? <laughs> Yeah, because you're not alone. That's why. Oh, I know. I mean, and so many of the listeners to this show as well are, you know, we're overachiever perfectionists and we want to just do the thing and whatever it's going to take to like get out of pain. Let me just like do the thing. But that curiosity too, that you're kind of, you know, hinting at of like, let me try this, this mistake. Like, what can I learn from this? What can, Mm -hmm. uh, what comes next? What's that next best step rather than viewing things as like, this is it. And everything ends here is such an important mindset for growth. You like, you have to have that curiosity or you're going to stay exactly where you are right now. Right. And that's where I like to keep the phrase, the perfect perfectionist, because 
earlier in my career, we talked about how perfection is bad and you've got to move away from it. It's pathologized. And I'm like, look, no, no, no. We know as perfectionists that it works to a great degree. We are better than a lot of people as a result of it. <laughs> like, like, just being honest, like, we get better <laughs> results, but we can mess it up. There's, I mean, there's just a way to do it better. So hold on to that perfectionism and do perfectionism better. Be more mm-hmm. perfect. And the, on, the only, the, really the one key is to change the relationship with mistakes. You do not have to say they're okay. You do not have to be happy with them, but you do have to relate to them in a way that moves you forward if you want to be perfect. <sighs> just let that soak in. <laughs> Dramatic pause. One of the most frustrating things about recovering from injuries or surgery is not being able to work out and losing muscle mass because of it. You can't work out because it hurts, but it feels like you're taking three steps back with your strength. Luckily, I found a product that not only helps to maintain muscle mass, but also helps to reduce inflammation so you can recover faster. And did I mention it's 100% backed by science? It's called Heal by The Amino Company, and a recent clinical trial compared the use of Heal with other high-quality whey proteins. And the researchers found that Heal was three times more efficient at triggering muscle growth and repair than any other protein source. So if you're looking for a nutritional advantage when it comes to healing and recovery, you definitely need to give Heal a try. Heal's essential amino acid blend tastes delicious and will take your recovery to the next level. And right now, you can get 30% off your first order when you visit aewellness.com slash amino and use the code bodynerd at checkout. That's aewellness.com slash A-M-I-N-O and use the code bodynerd at checkout. All right, let's get back to the show. Okay, so what I wanted to definitely touch upon, and I'm so glad that we took this tangent because I think that this is equally as important, if not more important, of changing your um, your thoughts too around how you approach things and that curiosity. But what I really wanted you to help us be more perfect at, just kidding, um, is <laughs> please, I need to sleep better. Recovery and sleep and what a role that plays into just like literally everything. Because I've said it here a thousand times, I'll say it here a thousand times again, but what do we need to know about sleep that we're not already doing? Yeah, so let, me, so let me back up in here. We all know that we need our eight hours. We've been hearing it since we were young. Culture, however, doesn't tell us, show us that. I mean, if we go in the workplaces, for example, we're really reinforced for the hard worker, the first one to show up, the last one to leave, you know, and we're, we're given badges for, for, you know, coming in tired because I stayed up so late getting that extra project done. So we really kind of reward those warriors. We've got, you know, silly things being say like, you snooze, you lose. Mm. Well, it's actually the opposite. If you don't snooze, you're going to lose. And we'll get to more of the performance stuff in a minute here. But as I started to look into the to sleep, the, the science, again, everything is based on science, not opinions. But the sleep science that goes out there shows that there is not one organ, there's not one process in your body that's not affected by sleep, either being hurt by sleep deprivation or enhanced by actually moving on. There's performance enhancing effects. You think eight hours is enough, but I hate that question. How much sleep do I need to get? Well, I don't know. How much water do you need to drink? How much food do you need to eat so you don't die? Like, is that a performance enhancing attitude? So why do, we, why do we do that with sleep? Well, I just want the bare minimum. Why? It is the most powerful thing to improve your body, improve your recovery, to you know, improve your brain, to ward off diseases, to increase your immune system, to facilitate muscle growth, to help you lose weight, to be more attractive, to have more energy. To, I mean, it is like if it was just in a pill, every one of us would pay out of pocket like half of our life savings because it's, it, it's a miracle. It does everything. But this is free. But we just, it's because it's so readily or easily available, I think that we don't appreciate it. 
But look, mm-hmm. we were made to sleep one third of our life. 24 hour day, we're supposed to sleep for eight, 16 hours awake, one third of our life. We spend, you live to 90, 30 years of it, you should be spending asleep. So mm-hmm. it has got to have some great value to be such a part of our organ. Now, but we don't know that because we're sleeping. So we don't really know what it's doing, but it's doing literally everything. So when you start to dive into this, you start to realize, oh my gosh, like nobody's talking about this. We don't really appreciate it. We're always turning to a pill or some other quick fix, something that we can understand. So here, this is the sleep science. Let's understand this. Your body, every aspect of your body is affected and recovering when you sleep. Your muscles grow when you sleep. You work out, you, you learn things or you think you learn things, you absorb stuff during the day. Nothing really gets translated into learning, skill development, memory until you actually go to sleep. How many of you had that aspect where you're staying up late at night and you're trying to figure something out or you're trying to execute a sports skill or, or play a particular instrument and you can't do it, you can't do it, you're like, oh, you just go to bed. And you wake up in the morning and all of a sudden you can do it. It just showed up. Mm-hmm. That's because of how the brain works. It took all that information and needed to move to a different part of your brain to actually get into your body so that it could actually be learned. So what are we not paying attention to? I'm like, this is so important. The, the number one recommendation I would say is you, you got to choose to make sleep a priority. I mean, there's, mm-hmm. we know that with all the things that go on in our world, whether it be blue lights or the computer screens that we have now that, that keep us awake, the lights, whether it's, you know, the, the, that caffeine that we have in the afternoon latte that's still in our system when we try to go to bed. There's a lot of things that keep us up, but mostly we set an alarm to get up in the morning, but we don't set an alarm to go bed at night. And so mm-hmm. what sneaks in? Anybody here kind of say, well, I'll just watch one more Netflix episode. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, before you know it, there's maybe two, three, but you know, not only are you awake, but now it's you know, hours past when you actually wanted to go to bed. What's the mm-hmm. first thing that we give up when we have to get something done? Well, I'll just, I'll just go to bed later. It's the first thing that mm-hmm. we sacrifice. So the biggest impact in the, that I've had with my performers is like, hey, if you really want the eight and, and you do the, you give me two weeks of doing this. I mean, I won't say you'll never go back, but you'll understand yourself. Like you'll experience this. You give me two weeks of eight hours a night. You're going to feel differently. You're going to perform differently. I actually notice it now that I've had a bad night. When I go back to the gym, I could tell and feel it in the gym that I don't have the energy because I've gotten so used to sleeping well. So you'll Mm -hmm. start to miss it. That's another big thing. When we're sleep deprived, we don't know that we're sleep deprived. That's maybe the biggest thing. The science has shown that if you've ever seen a drunk person and they want to drive, they're like, I'm fine. You know, they're trying to take the keys and like, you can't, they don't know they're drunk. And so they want to drive. It's the same thing when we're sleep deprived. We think we're fine, but you're not our brains start to show cognitive decline after 16 hours awake. Like, well, that's not very long. No, it's a full day. And then your brain starts shutting down. By 19 hours awake, you are in in driving performances, you actually have a similar impairment as uh, somebody who's legally drunk. Yeah. There are more drowsy accidents than both alcohol and drugs combined. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are some amazing statistics that we, we kind of find out. So besides, look, if you think you're fine, I'm telling you, you're not, if you're getting you know, <laughs> less than eight hours, if you're getting six, your rates of just about everything that's dangerous of health really skyrockets. If you're getting less than six, in fact, if I have an athlete come to me and they're getting less than six and a half or seven, I won't do any mental training with them until I actually get them sleeping eight. And that's because what's the point of trying to help you manage anxiety and have this thinking strategy and improve your confidence when your brain's not going to be able to do it? You just simply yeah. can't. So yeah. I work with them on sleep. And within, again, two weeks, half their symptoms go away just because they're sleeping. 
You know, I know for myself too, when I feel like more anxiety and like more depression creeping up, I'm like, Mm -hmm. wait, how long have I slept? Oh, wait. Yeah. I'm totally underslept. And I just, that's the easy fix for it. But what about the person who is like, oh, but I only need five and a half hours. Like I have a friend and client who's like convinced that's all she needs. I wish I could remember the statistic. There's a great book. And if you want a resource, it's um, Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those science books that you're like, this reads like a novel. I can't put it down. It's so fascinating. He's got humor in it. He tells wonderful stories. He breaks down the research and storytelling. And you might remember, you can remember the stat, but he says in there, he goes, if you're one of those, he goes, there are people who can get away with five hours and they're actually fine. He says, it's extremely rare. I think the chances of you getting struck by lightning two or three times are greater. (laughs) <laughs> so he says, um, and he says it in the book, he goes, I'm telling you, if you think you're one of those people, you're not. <laughs> it's so, so rare. But it goes back to that point of what we say is that we think we're sleep, de- or rather we don't know that we're sleep re- deprived when we are. And I'll mm-hmm. tell you a personal story. Like this is part of why it's so close to my heart is my father was an immigrant from Ireland and he worked his butt off. He had a fourth grade education. He was a provide for three kids in New York city. He worked 80 hours a week for 40 Mm -hmm. years. Mm -hmm. And so he would get his sleep, but you would think that he was fine because when he was awake, he had energy and he was happy and he was go, go, go. Um, Now, some of that may have been all the caffeine that he was pumping too, but but he died um, before he was 70. Mm -hmm. Um, He died at 69. And I have learned that I think it's sleep deprivation that actually killed him. Mm-hmm. Now, it was, now they're not going to diagnose that. The doctors never said that. They didn't know. He had a bunch of other health issues. But he had those health issues, I think, because he was getting five, six hours a night maximum. Mm-hmm. And that accumulates. So mm-hmm. you might feel crappy after one day, but you're just slowly chipping away at your health. And if you have a lifestyle like that, we've just got volumes of information that say you're, you're slowly killing yourself. Now, on the mm-hmm. flip side, I want to make this more positive, too. If you're getting your age and you say that I'm fine, we also have research that show when you get nine, like for athletes, for example, it has performance-enhancing effects. They've done studies mm-hmm. with um, like the Stanford basketball team, and they, yeah. just by sleeping, they went, I think it was like six, four, six hours and 40 minutes on average, and they jumped up to like eight hours and 45 minutes, and their three-point free throw, or rather their three-point shooting percentage went up by over mm-hmm. 9%. Yeah. Like- that's crazy. Like if I could, if I could hit three nine percent to begin with <laughs> of those shots, would be amazing. Yeah. They increased it by nine percent. These high level athletes simply by sleeping more. So, I mean, Usain Bolt, he was known to take naps before winning the gold medal. I mean, these athletes <laughs> wouldn't do this if it if it wasn't performance enhancing. My favorite one. Can I tell you this? If you have a lot of people yeah. who work out as a CrossFit fiend, there I go. I, you know, if you do CrossFit, you have to mention it. So I got that plug in. <laughs> <laughs> you have to talk about Next it. Next, you'll tell me you're a vegan too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually not, but paleo. <laughs> but one of the other things that got to me was that I discovered that it's the greatest pulses of HGH, mm-hmm. um, human growth hormone, occur in the first cycle of your deep stage three sleep. And I say first cycle because all sleep is not created equally. So earlier in the night, you get more deep sleep. And then later in the night, early mornings, you get more of your REM sleep. And that's because each one serves a different function. And But just know that all sleep isn't created equally. So if you're going to bed too late, you're missing the opportunity to get the greatest HGH jump. If you go to bed later, you miss that. It's done. The circadian rhythm is passed. You, you, don't, you don't get it. 
So if you want to maximize your physique and lift heavier weights and get stronger, one of the best things that you could do so that your time in the gym isn't wasted is go to bed earlier. You know, this, this occurs usually before midnight. So if you're going to bed at midnight, you're, you're missing out on some free, non-illegal human growth hormone. <laughs> yeah, you're uh, definitely calling me out here. Um, I've been, and it's actually not Netflix for me. I've been reading a bunch of fiction books and it's like, oh, just one more chapter, yeah. just one more chapter. And then it's like one o'clock. You're like, oh my gosh, what happened? So I really love to this idea of an alarm to remind yourself to go to sleep. Yeah. And I realized I used to have that. It was, you know, my an alarm to walk my dog at the same time every night. And we've kind of fallen off of that. But what's like another super practical tip? Because I can just hear people saying like, okay, I hear you, but I'm not tired. I lay down and my brain is, you know, running a million miles an hour. Like what are mm-hmm. some other things people can do to help unwind so that they can go to bed at a reasonable time and get those eight hours of sleep? Okay. I hope I remember them all, but I have three really big ones <laughs> that I want to go through. So one is take it out of your hands. So on your phones, shut down the apps, like put on a timer, because if you're going to make the decision, TikTok's always going to win, you know, like there's yeah. always going to be something else that you're going to see. So if you don't want to be on your phone at a certain time, you can just set your own thing. I know I've done it for my kids because I want them off their phone. So I put a limit on it, but I'm yeah. most effective when I put a limit on myself Same. and say, I don't want to be on the phone because this blue light, you can't beat science. I know you're like, oh, it affects me or it doesn't. I'm telling you it does. If you've got blue light going into your eyes, your biology is a lot stronger than you are. That blue light is waking you up and it's going to disrupt your sleep. So it's going to make you stay awake. And that's part of the reason why you're not feeling tired is in part because you've got this computer and these screens going in. You can get blue light glasses. But I'm telling you, I'm, I like to work and I'm more of, I'm not a night owl, but I'm certainly not an early riser. I'm somewhere in between. So I like to work out and then come back and do a little bit more work. But I'm actually having to cut that out because I'm finding the extra productivity I get of doing a little bit more computer work at nine, 10 o'clock at night, it wakes me up. Mm-hmm. And so I do much better going to bed with that. And the blue light glasses, they help, but they're not, they're not perfect. Like light's still coming yeah. in. So the blue light yeah. glasses can help. So that's one. Two, you had mentioned it. A colleague of mine told me this just last week and I loved it. He said, don't go to bed. Don't go to sleep. Go to relax. Mm. The pressure that we say, well, I got to go to sleep. Or I got to go to bed. We embrace it with a different attitude if we understand that, you know, sleep is like the ultimate relaxation and we can't go to sleep Mm -hmm. unless we're relaxed. And sometimes we're so tired that we just crash, but that's suggesting to me that you're not getting enough sleep if that's how you're going to bed. But if you have a bedtime routine and you include in it, what's relaxing for you? Now, for some people, it might be reading. For you, it may not be. (laughs) Um, No, honestly, I mean, you you can kind of check that. Um, But one thing that is very, very good from a biological perspective is a warm bath. And the reason Mm -hmm. for that is because it's hot. And then when you get out of the bathtub, all of the heat that's going from your body cools your core body temperature. And one of the things that helps with the onset of sleep is a dropping of the core body temperature. So again, this is another reason to go to bed earlier because um, your natural rhythm, your natural core body temperature in evening starts to drop and it reaches its low point somewhere around 12, one in the morning. Um, about two hours after you go to bed is when it drops. But then in the early morning hours, it starts picking up again. And as you get warmer, then you awaken, you know, seven, eight, nine o'clock in the morning. So if you can take the bath and double that up with the natural drop in your core body temperature, that can be a way to really help trigger that relaxation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's such a, I mean, that's the other thing too. It's like, use your biology to help you rather than like fighting it with technology. And I've done right. the same thing on my phone too. Like all of my apps at 1030 
like nothing works except my alarm clock. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. I, and I also, another thing, and I'll link to it in the show notes as well, um, is I've set is, I think it's like under accessibility, but you can shift your screen on your phone to be like that red tinge yep, instead of the white. And like that also, I, you know, I turn that on automatically. Um, but yeah, I, it's just, you know, setting up these habits and patterns to like set yourself up to win uh, while also bringing the spirit of like, I'm probably going to mess this up, you know, and that's fine. It's just, I'm paying attention to what's going on. And when I want to make a different choice, I do. Cause I definitely used to be way better at getting to sleep than I am right now, but I'm really enjoying my book. So I'm like, I'm okay with it, <laughs> but now I'm going to get back on the, back on the wagon. <laughs> good, good. And I have to say, I'm laughing here in part because as you were speaking, it turned five o'clock PM my time. And literally, like, you couldn't plan this, but I wish you were recording my screen. My screen is now orange, and it was happening oh, yeah, just yeah. as you were saying it. The whole tint of my laptop is now orange as a result yes. because the blue light is being taken out. So that's how early I actually started. I started at 5 because I know I might still be on it. And so I want that blue light out as soon as possible. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it's hysterical as you were saying it. I'm like, oh, my gosh, this what timing. <laughs> yeah. All of it. Um, okay. Another thing I wanted to talk to you about, um, I saw on your website, this mindful dishwashing exercise, because, you know, I talk about mindfulness. We've talked about mindset and thoughts. And I think that us overachiever perfectionists, um, you know, well, for it to really count, I need to be in my yoga clothes on my meditation cushion with my, you know, crystals and singing bowls and like all this stuff. But can you tell us a little bit more about that mindful dishwashing exercise and like how to bring mindfulness into an everyday task? Sure. Yeah. So let me put into the context of when I work with my high achievers, what mindfulness is for and how I structure it. So usually it's to help people improve their focus. There's, I don't think there's any better strategy to improve your mind's ability to focus than practicing focusing, which is ultimately what mindfulness is. So people say, oh, I use it to relax or this or that. And I'm like, that actually goes against what mindfulness is, which is paying attention on purpose in the present moment without judgment. So we will do the meditations, you know, the sitting mindfulness, maybe on the breath or other things. And if you've talked about that, you're familiar with that. But after I teach that, what I like to follow up with is what we call, I call active mindfulness, which is a way to kind of say, well, how do I be mindful in real life? Because it's a lot more than of just people will start to think, well, I have to be more mindful of that. Like I have to be aware, I have to be more aware, I have to pay attention. I'm like, no, no, no. Like being more actively mindful means similarly, I have to kind of figure out what's the things I want to focus in on intentionally on purpose that are happening in the moment while I'm performing and then letting go of the distractions, whether that be the the people in the stands or my own negative thoughts. And I have to be able to rapidly decide what's relevant and important and what isn't all while I'm actually doing something. Mm -hmm. And I think it's hysterical because people talk about how hard mindfulness is and my athletes will come back, for example, they'll be like, oh man, I can't sit and do mindfulness for 20 minutes. I'm like, yeah, but you want to actually then be able to perform under pressure, you know, to make that putt with a lot of people watching for a championship. That sounds a lot easier (laughs) than sitting in the side of your bed for 20 minutes and trying to focus. It's like, okay, (laughs) dog, I I get it. That's the idea of the act of mindfulness is that so you take something to start off with before we get them trying to do this in their sport, like a dishwashing exercise. And so I'll, I'll do this with them and say, okay, let's stand at the sink, turn on the water and, and listen to the water and notice that, you know, grab the sponge and pour out the, the soap and smell the soap and notice what flavor it is. Look at the suds 
you know, then pick up the heaviness of the dish. Notice the chicken and the ketchup that's still on it. Notice how gross you feel and angry that your siblings have left that without doing it. Notice those emotions, right? Literally, I will go through all these things. And, and then notice how hard you have to scrub it off. And then notice how the, the, the surface is starting to change. And now it's kind of squeaky. And you can hear that sound. And you go squeak, squeak, squeak. Mm-hmm. And then notice how the water's running down. This. So all the details that go to it, we're just taking moment to moment. And then you put the dish away or, or you dry it and look and see how wet it is. And notice how it's becoming drier until you know that all the water is gone. And now it's completely dry. And so the conversation you'll afterwards is like, well, what was that like? They're like, oh my gosh, I, I've never paid attention to those things before for his thousands of dishes that I've washed. That was different. I remember, I, so I give this assignment of saying, you know, you do whether it be the mindful dishwashing or my favorite one is the mindful eating. Like you mm-hmm. just slow down and taste everything in your mouth bite by bite. Like I have sandwiches that I remember from 10 years ago that like a, <laughs> a breakfast sandwich with crispy bacon on an everything bagel. Oh, mm-hmm. I still remember it. <laughs> because all you did is you sit there and you just notice every bite and how the food breaks down and it changes. And what that does is it's practicing getting something done, eating, washing a dish while being totally immersed in it. You're still moving and you've got different things. It's very different than sitting. So I like to say the sitting meditations are good to kind of build up the muscle and the strength, but the act of mindfulness is a great exercise to kind of start to see what it's like to perform in a mindful way, paying attention to what's relevant to your performance on purpose in the moment as you're performing, letting go of the fear and the self-doubt and the perfectionism and the performance anxiety, right? We have to practice that. We don't cure those things. Quick tangent on performance anxiety, which is kind of like my specialty, but I'm never going to get rid of it for you because if you care about your performance, you should be anxious about it because somebody else is trying to kick your ass. It's like, it's just the way it is. You need to have this anxiety, but there's a way like perfectionism that you can interact with it differently. Your anxiety is there simply because you care, not because it's likely that you'll lose. It's interesting that I have the best people on the team coming to see me. I'm like, why isn't your teammate here? Aren't you much better than he or she? They're like, yeah. Don't they have a greater chance of losing? Yeah. So it's interesting that I'm working with you on how fearful you are that you're going to lose when you've got the least chance of losing. It's just kind of, it's like your anxiety is just about how much you care. Because if you lose, it'll hurt you more. Mm -hmm. The more we care, the more anxious we are. All right. Quick free tip there. That's a tangent. (laughs) But bringing it back, that's what mindfulness is so great about because then we can actually start to look and be like, oh, I know why I'm anxious. I'm aware that I'm having that anxious response. Now let me let that go and focus back on the volleyball or my run or that meeting or that person I'm talking to, whatever it is. And the act of mindfulness to tie this together is just a great way to kind of have that bridge between the extreme performance and the the mindfulness meditation that you're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. And I definitely am going to be practicing that because I, it's so easy to just zoom through life, you yeah. know, and not be paying attention until those moments where you're just like, oh, and then if you've never practiced for it, how is how are you going to show up when it needs to happen when you haven't practiced all of those like smaller things along the way? So I think yeah. that that's like an awesome exercise. And even just also allowing things such as paying attention while you wash the dishes or, you know, sitting there quietly with your cup of tea in the morning for however short it is, it counts. Yes. Right. It all counts towards the self-care, towards this recovery, towards a whole integrated experience of life too, you know, like it all counts. So I really appreciate you sharing that with us. So do you have a lot of people practicing mindfulness in your listeners? Yeah. I mean, I talk about mindfulness all the time and I kind of bounce in my own personal practice from like, you know, very strict meditation and sitting and doing that. Um, but incorporating it into walking my dog and being, you know, 
actively mindful, um, to sitting quietly, not even before I journal, just like with a cup of tea of just bringing those moments. Um, I heard Oprah talk about it in a podcast recently. She's like, just a little bit of nothing right before you start your day so that that sets the tone rather than the rushing, rushing, rushing. I got to go. I got all these things to do, like waking up and starting your day and like already feeling behind. So I do try to incorporate all of that and talk about it often. So I asked because if I, if I could share the, the, a solution or perspective that has helped, um, I think the biggest barrier to practice. I mean, I don't know mm-hmm. if you've experienced it, but people hate practicing it. We all want the benefits of mindfulness and we all hate doing yeah. it. We all think we suck at it yep. um, because ultimately we do. And so this has been a game changer for people. If I could share, um, Please. the goal isn't to clear your mind. I take that back. The goal is to clear your mind, but the expectation is you should, you never will. So I like mm-hmm. to use the physical example of weightlifting. Like if we're in the gym and you have a teammate that comes in and he lifts the weights and then he lets go and they come crashing to the ground. And he starts getting upset. He goes, this is ridiculous. Every time I lift the weights, they come crashing to the ground. You'd be like, what the heck is the matter with you? Well, coach has us in here and he says, go lift the weights. But why do we have to go lift the weights if they're not going to stay in the air? And you're like, gravity. Like, dude, you got to understand yeah. that there's gravity. Well, okay, well, if gravity's going to keep pulling it down, why are we lifting it? And you would, of course, explain. Well, it's because it's the lifting that develops the strength. It's going against gravity that does it. And the more times we lift, in the face of the resistance, the stronger we'll become. It's not about lifting the weights. That's the goal, but the, it's about the process of weightlifting. So if I did 90 reps, right, that'd be a sick workout. Like that'd be awesome. Yeah. And we would be proud of it. You and I, we don't get frustrated in the weight room. If we do a hundred reps. And if we do 110, it's actually a better workout than the hundred. Mindfulness is exactly the same thing. Hear this. The goal is to, of course, clear your mind, to pay attention on purpose in the moment without judgment. And when my athletes get started, some of them, I say they did pretty well. I'll be like, oh, you had the first week. Oh, they're like, oh, it went pretty good. You know, I felt really relaxed, which is not the goal, but okay. (laughs) And, but yeah, I I only had to catch myself two or three times. I'm like, oh, okay. That's interesting. They'll come back two, three weeks later and be like, I'm terrible at this. I don't like it. It's so hard. I can't focus anymore. I'm constantly bringing myself back and I'm celebrating. They're like, what? And I'm like, you're actually getting better. No, you're not listening to me. I'm getting worse. It's harder. I'm, you know, I'm, and I'm like, you're getting better because you're now catching yourself. Instead of being in a seven minute daydream before you catch yourself and bring yourself back. Right. Right. You're now catching yourself every minute or two. And I hope that you actually continue to catch yourself every 30 seconds or every 10 seconds. Because what you're doing is you're focusing and then you lose focus and then you refocus and get another rep in and you lose focus. So when you come back and you tell me that you spent 70 refocusing times and you had to refocus or you lost your focus 70 times, you refocus 71, I'm saying that's a damn good workout, better than you were doing three weeks ago. You're getting better. You're getting stronger. It is in the process of catching yourself and refocusing that all the work and all the benefit comes from. So be thankful that if you can focus for two seconds, one second, maybe, right? But don't get frustrated when you have to do another rep. It's all Mm -hmm. about the reps. Mm Mm-hmm. And I don't think the traditional mindfulness teachers talk about it in that way. No. But since I've brought that to my clients, it's removed so much frustration, so much hatred (laughs) and dislike of the practice when you realize that is the practice. You're not failing. You're Mm -hmm. actually getting a much better mindfulness workout. And like you had said, every rep counts. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Every mental bringing yourself back rather than being frustrated with it anymore and having that negative self-evaluation pop up, 
please understand that you just did another rep. Mm -hmm. And that's awesome. Yeah. It's like the moment by moment, not just the, oh, I meditated. Like it's, oh, it's always moment by moment. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. That, I mean, I have so much to think about now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, seriously. And just different ways to think about things just to bring more ease and curiosity and obviously more sleep into my life so that we can show up and feel the way and be the person that we want to be for ourselves and for those who are around us. So thank you so much. You're welcome. And if you're going to structure it, let me add this. Sleep is the number one performance enhancer. So if you, if anybody else is listening to this being like, wow, there's so much to do. What do I start with? Start with sleep. It'll make mindfulness easier. And you'll be in better emotional regulation to maybe take the edge off your perfectionism. Just the edge. Just take the edge off. Just that rough edge. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I'm going to go set myself, seriously, uh, a bedtime reminder. And not just like go to sleep reminder, because let's be honest, you need the, okay, it's time to get ready oh, yeah. for bed reminder. You know, the skincare routine has many, many steps. So there yeah. would be two reminders. <laughs> no, you're exactly right. If you want eight hours sleep and you're like, okay, so I'm getting up at eight. So that means I need to be, you know, be asleep by midnight. That means you need to start your bedtime routine at 11. You mm-hmm. know, to brush your teeth, take your shower, do your skin, pray, meditate, like whatever it is and that, and people forget that. And, oh, oh, and it usually takes me a half hour to fall asleep. So that means now I got to start at 1030. Because once mm-hmm. I jump into bed, the clock on sleep doesn't count. It doesn't count until mm-hmm. you actually fall asleep. Mm-hmm. So that math messes up a lot of us. <laughs> yeah. True. I will go do some, some studying here. Where can people find more information and stay connected with you? Yeah. So the, the best catch-all is my website, dreddyoconnor.com. And what you'll find there will be links to my YouTube channel where I've got a free Mental Toughness in 60 Seconds video series. Um, there'll be a pop-up there to jump onto my newsletter with a video, what to do when positive thinking doesn't work, which is one of my favorites. Cause as you might've started to guess about the, the pain stuff, um, I don't believe in positive thinking. I don't believe in confidence. <laughs> I think that's too restrictive. We have to learn to perform in adversity. So I've, one of my favorite videos on how to overcome that it's free. And that's at my website. There's links for one-on-one consulting. If there's anybody that could help individually. And what I'm really excited about is my success stories membership. It's a community of high achievers together, overcoming obstacles to excellence. It's modular. So it's actually closed, but I'll tell you what, for, uh, you, you send me an email with the code body nerd. You're like, yeah. oh, we'll do that. Send me the code body nerd and I'll open it up for you. And, uh, we'll let you have a special entry into that. And there's a, a drop down menu there. So it's drradioconnor.com slash membership. Um, I'll open it up for you guys. Um, if you want some help, um, overcoming these obstacles to excellence. That is so awesome. Thank you so much for that. And I will put all of those links into the description as well so that you can follow up with that. And again, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for being with us today. Yeah, absolute pleasure. I appreciate the invite. So one of my favorite things after conversations like these is to hear from you what you thought about today's episode. Like what was your biggest takeaway? What was the thing that made you go, Oh my gosh. So send us an email. You can find me at hello at aewellness.com. You can take a screenshot of this episode on whatever platform you're listening to uh, and tag us on social media. 
I am at Hala Famala, and you can find Dr. Eddie on Instagram at Sports Dr. Eddie. And let us know what you thought and what you're going to do with the new knowledge you have moving forward. Of course, you can always send any questions you have again on Instagram, or you can leave a voicemail on the Body Nerd Hotline at 818-396-6501. Before I go, don't forget that show notes, fun links, free downloads, the Body Nerds group, and all things podcast related including everything we talked about on today's show are over at aewellness.com slash podcast. And you know the drill. And I so appreciate every single one of you who has already subscribed, reviewed this episode and the show, or shared it with someone who is going to benefit from the things that Dr. Eddie shared in today's conversation. I seriously like cannot say thank you, thank you, thank you enough for those of you who have taken the time to do it because it really, really, really helps the show, uh, helps me to bring better guests to you, helps me to connect with better sponsors and share them with you. So thank you for being awesome and a body nerd. I'm grateful for you. So here's to asking better questions, moving more, going to sleep at a better time tonight, okay? (laughs) And getting nerdy. And thank you for helping me spread the word that your body is super cool and that you, my friend, can change the unchangeable. I'll talk to you next week. Pain stops you in your tracks and body work is one of the fastest and most effective ways to deal with it. I've put together a free PDF with the six places you need to roll right now for quick relief. Plus, the reason why what you've tried so far has only given you a temporary fix. So whether it's back pain, plantar fasciitis, neck tension, shoulder pain, or tight hips, I've got you covered. And when you download it now, I'll also send you some video demos to get you started even faster. Head on over to aewellness.com slash bodywork, that's B-O-D-Y-W-O-R-K, to get started today.